loving God, in this moment we ask that you would speak to us. Speak by your living word. Speak words of refreshment and renewal, words of challenge, hope and life, we pray. For we're listening. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Friends, we're... We are going to consider <clears throat> him again this morning. That's what I want to talk about. That's who I want to talk about. I want to talk about Jesus. The central focus of our hearts as a church. Uh, Ewan started this sermon series um, about the values, kingdom values of us as a church and as a fellowship. Is this one working, Wayne? Do I need to move it? Is it okay? And he started off by talking about the presence of God amongst us. And then he talked about the love we should have for one another and for God and for our communities. And today, I just want to say, and this is the one that underpins everything, I want to speak to you about Jesus again. Because we can't talk about him enough as far as I'm concerned. Um, But before we talk about Jesus, I want to talk about crocodiles. As you do, it's one of those segues. Um, one of the joys of um, being a dad to little kids is you get to enter into their little world and their mess around little world and, and live life like a little one for a bit. And you get to read them stories and see their little eyes and their ears listening and what are they thinking and you enjoy this little moment with them. And we have a book that we like to read to Harry, who's our little blondie one who's just under three. Uh, who runs around sometimes, you'll see him, um, called uh, Have You Seen the Crocodile? It's quite a good book. And it goes through, and you, you look at it with Harry, and Bex was reading this to him the other day, and he sat there looking at the pictures, and it starts off with a bird saying, Have you seen the crocodile? And he asks the butterfly, and the butterfly goes, No, I haven't seen the crocodile. So then they together go and find someone else, like a a dragonfly, and they say, have you seen the crocodile? And the dragonfly goes, no, I haven't seen the crocodile. So they go together and they find a bee, and they say to the bee, have you seen the crocodile? And they go, no, I haven't seen the crocodile. And they go through these animals, one after another, and they all join together until they get to one page where the crocodile goes, I've seen the crocodile. Snap! And you see them all flurry, And then the next page, the crocodile's there on his own, smiling and licking his lips. And he says, have you seen the dragonfly and the bird and the butterfly? And so we asked Harry, or Becky asked Harry, she said, oh, where have all the animals gone? And he said, they've gone to church. (laughs) Which is brilliant. (laughs) They all gone to church, and we went, yes, they have, (laughs) and we closed the book. It's this wonderful insight to his little world. Where the animals go, well, they've gone to church. Why? Because that's what we do, isn't it? Daddy's always going off to church, and we're always off to church for one thing or another. Clearly, the animals have all gone to church. Let me push this forward a bit. Um, For him... It's normal to go to church. For most people in our society, at best it's a curiosity as to why we would do this. At worst it's seen as madness. Why on earth 
Would people in this day and age give up their time on a Sunday, time that is so precious, when there are beaches to go to, or shopping to be done, or a house to decorate, films to enjoy, families to visit, rugby, dare I say, to watch. Chris Pollard, you're still here, good man. I was just checking in. England are playing, if you're not sure what I'm referring to there. Um, What on earth are we doing here? What on earth are we doing in church? And they think, surely, it will just die down. It's a curiosity that will just one day phase out in culture. It's got to, hasn't it? And whilst church has declined in some areas in the West, church is so far from being dead. It will not die out. And I tell you why. And I tell you why I'm confident in that. Because church is actually all about Jesus. And it's his church. And he's alive. And he's up to amazing things all the time, and he said, as Catherine referred to, the very gates of Hades won't overcome my church that I'm building, said Jesus. We gather for something far better than films and rugby and food. We gather to meet with Jesus. That's why we're here. We gather to meet with him. Why do our brothers and sisters all across the globe meet under threat of arrest? Imagine that for a moment, unsure whether at any point armed guards are going to come in and arrest or kill us for this. Would you still be here? Gosh. But why would they do that or meet in secret or underground? They do it to meet with Jesus, to meet together as his people with Jesus their Lord and their King, their Saviour, their friend. Why on earth do we throw off our old life, as the reading said, this sin that so easily entangles, and run this race called Christian faith that requires perseverance? Friends, no one ever said it was going to be easy or comfortable, but challenging and life-changing. Why do we do it? Because it's all about Jesus. Because of him, he's the reason for all of this. Not religion, not some morality or maintaining some British tradition of church going, not a sense of duty. No, we're here because of Jesus. He's the one we fix our eyes on. He's the one we delight in, the one we worship, we honour, we adore. He is the foundation, the cornerstone, the anchor, the bedrock. He is the highest and most glorious head of the church. He is why we're here and he is the central focus of our hearts as a church. He always has been and I pray he always will be. But why? Why Jesus? I just want to explore Jesus again this morning with us. For some of you, this will just be like going over some beautiful truths again. For some of you, there may be things here that you've not thought of in this way before. But why Jesus? Well, firstly, because he is Lord and King. He is, and he is supremely worthy. Let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us, the scripture said, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, the pioneer and the finisher, the one in whom is all about. It always has been and it always will be. A so-called church that is not in love 
with Jesus do not declare his lordship and his kingship have missed the point entirely. If not church, become a social club or a singing class or a holy huddle, hobby thing. But it's not church. And there's nothing more tragic than a church that's lost its heartbeat and love for Jesus. That's lost its honour and worship of its foundation and its reason for existence, its joy and its lifeblood. Imagine for a moment a wedding, getting ready for it, all right? We all get our clothes on and it's so exciting and we dress up and we put on our cravats and our ties and we do our hair and we put our hats on and we go there and we gather in this building and we all sit there and then in comes the bride and she looks beautiful and she's been prepared and with the train following behind with the bridesmaids and it's wonderful and she stands at the altar and we all smile and we all applaud the bride and then we just go home. We go, well that was lovely, let's do that again next week. It's missing the bridegroom, the very person that needed to be there to marry the bride. The wedding itself never took place. The vows were never said. The very reason for the gathering doesn't make sense unless it's there. And it's the same with a church that's not looking for Jesus, that's not in love with Jesus, that's not expecting Jesus, that's not welcoming his presence among us, isn't worshipping Jesus, isn't madly, wonderfully all about Jesus. Imagine a feast Imagine laying this glorious feast with tables and food in the middle that comes out and the food is exquisite and it smells wonderful and we all come and we all sit down and we all go, isn't this amazing? And we sit in front of our plates and we stop and we look at our plates and we look at the food and then we say, well, wasn't that wonderful? Let's come back again next week and do the same thing. And we leave and nobody's eaten anything. The reason for gathering was to feast. And we go away hungry. A church that gathers not expecting to be fed as they meet with Jesus and not being willing to partake and be open to his spirit changing us and feeding us and transforming us is no church at all. It's missing the very foundation, the author and perfecter, the Lord and King, who is the one we meet to worship who is the one it's all about. So many people today, and I studied this in my first degree 15 years ago. It's quite a long time ago now, isn't it? Um, Church, lots of people have become disillusioned with church, kind of disinterested in it as a concept. And they don't really go. But when I hear that someone has given up, say, on going to church, or kind of given up on the Christian faith, or walked away, my question, and it's never ever with judgment, please don't hear this judgmentally, but I always wonder, did they ever meet Jesus? Did they ever really meet with him? Or was it all just about church and doing stuff and a lifestyle choice? Because church is going to fail us sometimes, we're going to mess it up sometimes, we're far from perfect, but Jesus is never going to fail us. Coming to church is just an extra lifestyle choice that's quite nice to do. And sociologically, there's loads of pros for being here. It really does help. The scientists say, yeah, it's a great thing to do. But if it's just all about that when it gets tough, or you're not quite sure anymore, or it's a difficult season and you're struggling, and you think, actually, I prefer just a bit more time on my own, thanks, or time doing something else, and we start dropping away and we don't turn up, 
anymore, but if it's all about a relationship with Jesus and we gather to meet with him and we expect him to be present and we come for him, then it's no longer an optional. It becomes an absolute must for us. I want to be there because of Jesus, because of him, because of my brothers and sisters. As I gather together, he meets us in an amazing way. He comes amongst us and we're here because of him. You see, friends, it really is all about Jesus. This church is all about Jesus. It's not Ewan's church. This isn't my church. It's not the leadership team's church. It's not even your church. This is the sentence, we are his church. Isn't that true? We are his church. It's all About him, we're his body, his family. He's the head, as Catherine said. He is worthy of our gathering. He is worthy of our time, of our contributions, of our service, our honour, our praise, our prayers, our best. And yes, sometimes the only thing we can bring, which is not very great at all, just being present in our brokenness. He is so worthy of us being here. He will build his church, the gates of Hades, Hades will not overcome it. He's the author and perfecter of our faith. He is our Lord and he is our King. He is worthy of us coming and gathering in his name. But friends, he's so much more than just our Lord and King. He's so much more than just our Alpha and Omega or author and perfecter. No, he's the Alpha and the Omega of all history and all the universe. He's the beginning and the end of all things. It's not as if he just exists when we gather or, or Jesus is somehow just, just important to the church. No, the world doesn't realise it, but Jesus is actually the supreme Lord and King of all. He is. He was one with the Father at the very beginning when we read scripture. The Spirit moving amongst the waters, it was his word Hovering over, it was the Spirit hovering over the darkness, and it was His Word that brought into life water and light and creatures and breath and, and, and creativity and beauty and this world that He's made. And it's through His Word that all things are sustained. All things carry on, whether we realize it or not. Every breath we take is because of Jesus. He's the one who holds all things together. Colossians 1 The Son is the image of the invisible God the firstborn over all creation. I love this. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth and visible and invisible, you name it basically. Him. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, him. All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead so that in everything, everything he might have the supremacy. Friends, Jesus is the source of all truth, all power, all goodness, all beauty. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And in him we have, we live and we move and we have our very being. His majesty, his glory, his beauty, his power, his dominion, it's more awesome than we could ever, ever comprehend. Jesus Christ is Lord and king, whether we recognise him as that or not. It doesn't change the fact. I was listening to a sermon this week by a, uh, I guess, 1950s American preacher called S.M. Lockridge, and he's a proper gospel preacher. 
And uh, he started the sermon like this, and I'll do a little bit of an American accent, forgive me. He said, I've come to say tonight that Jesus is Lord. And then he says this, I don't have to prove it, he just is. And I love the start of that. I don't have to prove it to you, he just is. It's true, he doesn't stop being Lord and King if you or I don't believe in him. He doesn't stop being Lord and King if the philosophers tell us he isn't, or reject him or despise him, if the nations turn away from him, if we declare he's dead or a figment of our imagination, or we ignore him entirely, Jesus Christ is Lord and King of all the universe. But friends, we're the ones who have recognised his lordship and his kingship. And in response, we're the ones who have said, Jesus, I recognise who you are, and now I come off the throne of my life, and I let you come my Lord and King. My personal Lord and my King. You are the Lord and King of all, but I want you to become Lord and King in my life. I will follow you. I will obey you, whatever you call me to do. No longer does my life belong to me, but it belongs to you, Jesus. And I want to say there are no safer hands you could put your life in than his. There are no more trustworthy, more faithful hands than Jesus's to surrender your life to. In fact, the Bible says that One day it won't just be us who recognise, and I don't know how it all works out and when this moment will be, but there's that phenomenal image that we read, that Paul teaches us about, that one day his glorious lordship will be known by everybody. For at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And when we meet him face to face, even we who've given our lives to him today, And in this walk of life, we'll go, wow, he's more glorious and more wonderful and more beautiful and more worthy than even we could have dared imagine. Jesus Christ is Lord. And he doesn't depend on me and you for his lordship and his glory and his kingship. He just is. But do you know what? This glorious and this amazing Lord cares about you and me hugely there's this amazing image in first revelation revelation the last book in scripture this amazing vision that john has and he sees jesus risen and glorious and awesome and it describes his majesty and his awesomeness and his glory stood before him the ancient of days and john falls at his feet as if dead How could he do anything else? He just drops to the floor and the next thing scripture says is that Jesus put his hand on John's shoulder. Jesus was stood there in all his glory and John was on the floor. So what did Jesus have to do to put his hand on his shoulder? He had to stoop down. This glorious, majestic king stoops down to this one believer, overwhelmed and frightened, and says, don't be afraid. It's me. I'm the Alpha and the Omega. It's me. It's Jesus. This Jesus is Lord and King. He doesn't need us for his glory and his majesty. But he cares so much about us that he is the King who stoops, the Lord who bends down to be with us, to be our friend. Jesus is our true friend. 
He's at the centre of all we do because he's worthy, but also because he's won our hearts. This Lord and King came to earth to be like one of us. He left the glory and the beauty and the majesty of heaven and he stooped down and he became a fragile, vulnerable baby so that you and I might know his love and know his friendship and have friendship with his Father. And as he walked the earth, he showed us just how wonderful our God really is. He showed us the Father's heart for us, what it's really like, and what it is to truly love God and to truly love one another and humanity and our, la- and our neighbour, just as we're called to do. Instead of lording it over us and coming in glory and forcing our allegiance, he just met with us in our brokenness and fear and he won our love and our affection to the woman caught in adultery, shamed and humiliated by her people, he showed grace. And to the tax collector, who was too embarrassed to get Jesus' attention, he sought him out, went out of his way to get his attention and to have a meal with him. To the woman who was desperately ill, everyone else had failed her, she only wished to touch him, he stopped. And he brought hope and healing and dignity to her. To the crowd hungry for a meal, he gave bread. To the man who couldn't see, he gave sight. To the fisherman who wanted nothing to do with religion. I love that. Peter's too busy fixing his nets. I haven't got time for that. That preacher just 200 metres down the beach. Now I've got my nets to fix. To Peter, he became a true and lifelong friend. And still to this day, all over the world, whoever we are, to each and every person, whatever we've done, whatever our background, whatever our questions, our fears, our doubts, our hang-ups, our failures, our faults, he comes and he knocks at the door and he says, here I am. Don't be afraid. I'm the Alpha and the Omega and I've come knocking. I am the Lord and King but I've stooped to come knocking on the door of your life that I might also become your friend. Will you let me in? And let me change your life. And when we open the door to Jesus, our lives do change. And he does become our lifelong friend. Our eternal friend. And he wins us with his grace and his mercy and his love. He still does the same today. To the desperate, to the broken. He brings healing and hope. To the injured, he binds us up. To those going through a storm, he is our peace and our rock, and our anchor, to those of us with pride, and self-centeredness, and arrogance, and violence in our heart, he comes in, and he changes us, and he shapes our hearts, and he brings humility, and grace, and understanding. We're not Lord, he is. It's no longer, it's no wonder we long for his presence as a church here. It's no wonder we long for Jesus when we gather like this. And he promises to be with us. Two or three gather in my name. I will be right there amongst you. Behold, I am with you always till the very end of the age. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you, he says. Friends, when we pray, it's not just religious words. It's a conversation with him. When we worship, it's not just singing songs. To enjoy the music, it's delighting in him, it's meeting with him, it's worshipping him and honouring him. He's the reason 
for our reaching out to share his love, the love we've experienced of him. We share as we reach out. He's the reason for our cafe, for our mission, for our alpha courses, for our life groups, for our services, for everything. It's all about him. It's all about Jesus. He's the one who has won our hearts. And you know how some friendships can seem one way. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had a friend where you feel like you have to do all the work. I don't want to say to you, don't give up on that friendship. You want a friend, you have to be a friend. I read that in a little book a few weeks ago. I thought, isn't that right? Don't give up on those one-way friendships. Well, I want to say with Jesus, believe it or not, it's not one way. We love him. We adore him. It turns out that he loves us back. We love spending time with him. It turns out he wants to and chooses to and loves spending time with me and you. I don't get that, but it's true. God so loved the world that he sent his son. He loves being with us and that relationship with us, just as we love that with him. You see, the Bible says in that little reading, it was for the joy set before him that Jesus endured the most horrific and awful pain and darkness and suffering we could imagine. What was that joy that was set before him? Well, it was to bring glory to the Father, but it was also to return himself back to the right-hand side of the Father as victorious, but alone, no, surrounded by a whole host, a company of his friends, those he had redeemed for that joy, those he could now say, Father, look who I have won, look who I have rescued, look who we now have fellowship with. Look who is our friends. They didn't need friendship. They had one another. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, that extraordinary mystery of three in one. Yet they wanted to invite us into friendship with him. And Jesus rescued us. And it was for that joy set before him that he went to the cross. You see, he's won our hearts but he's also our saviour. And he alone has rescued us and saved us. Jesus didn't just come to the church 2,000 years, to the world 2,000 years ago just to teach us, although he did, or to walk with us, although that was what it was about as well, or to feed us, although that was what it was about as well, but he also came to save us. He came to rescue us from the mess that we are in without him, whether we realise it or not. Such is his love for me and you and his desire that we were going to be free from this mess, from the chains of sin, that he was prepared to endure the cross and its awful shame. It may not be trendy or comfortable or easy to talk about sin, the genuine selfishness, brokenness, the sin that's in each of us, Maybe these days we prefer to sidestep it or tone it down a bit, Matt. It's uncomfortable. Yes, it is uncomfortable. But it's real. It doesn't get rid of it if we ignore it. The fact that each one of us actually was created to know and delight in God, to know and delight and love one another, our neighbours, our friends, to know and care for and delight in this creation he's given us. And instead, every single one of us have failed. Every single one of us have been involved in lies and destruction. And you look around the world today and you see all the pain. Time and time again, we lash out. 
and we shoot down and we trample over and we manipulate and we lie and we hurt our neighbour and one another and this planet. And we've placed ourselves first and we've rejected God and we've injured, ignored the other. We've scorned God, we've mocked God, we've gone our way and just look at the world today. Look around at the arrogance and the pride and the violence and the hurt and the destruction. This thing called sin is real, it's horrible, it's destructive, God hates it, he stands against it with all his being for it has come to kill and steal and destroy. Jesus said, no, I have come that you may have life. The thief, our enemy, Satan, He has come to kill and steal and destroy, but he is not the sole source of sin. It's also in us. We choose so often to align with sin, with brokenness, with rejecting God, with violence, with looking after myself, with crushing down. And maybe you struggle with the idea of God ever being angry, and I've wrestled with this one over the years. Can I just get rid of the angry God bit? Because I much prefer a happy God. But I want to suggest it's scriptural. When I read scripture, what is it that God gets angry about? He gets angry when he sees people acting in arrogance and pride and crushing the broken and the poor and the weak. When people reject and ignore and scorn the vulnerable. When people couldn't care less about this world he's put. And the Lord says, I stand against you. This sin, I stand against. It causes God deep anger. He doesn't look at abuse and torture and genocide and say, hey, it doesn't matter. He looks at it and says, I stand against it. That sin, it separates you guys from me, if you only knew. It separates us from the God who loves us more than we could ever know. Friends, I want to be honest. We may not have murdered or tortured, although some have, But there are things that each of us have done that have hurt others and spoiled something of the goodness that God had planned for them and for us. His plans for us to flourish and to love and to care. And instead, by some accident or because of pressure or mistake or maybe deliberately, we've forced ourselves forward and we've hurt and we've damaged And however it comes, sin matters. Whatever the reason. In fact, it matters so much that the perfect and beautiful and wonderful and majestic and glorious Jesus, the Lord of all creation, came and hung in agony on a cross to deal with it. To take it away. Our friend, beaten and spatter and humiliated as he bled, and died to break the power and the consequences of sin over our lives. See, for much as I've tried to be good, and I kind of do try, you know, you might say I'm not really that bad a person. (laughs) I've tried to be good in this life. I know that before God, standing on my own merits, I would rightly stand condemned. I'd stand as a sinner. God would say, Matt, can you not see the damage and the hurt and the brokenness you've caused by your actions? Yet I also know this, that Jesus has paid the price for all of my sin. He has done it. I know that he took it all on that cross and that now, because of him, I am totally forgiven. I am totally set free. I was always loved, but now I am forgiven, I'm ransomed, I'm rescued, I'm set free. 
from the mess that I made and that was holding me down from my sin. And I now have hope and an eternal future with God because I said, Lord, I can't do it on my own. This is where I end up. And it ain't pretty. Lord, be my Lord and my Saviour, my friend. Thank you for what you did on the cross for me. I made that decision at 16 years of age. And I've been on that journey for the last... can't do the math. 18 years. I'm still learning. I'm still growing. We all are. But I know it's all about Jesus and it's all because of Jesus. And I know it's because of his grace and his mercy alone, not because of me. You see, the cross wasn't some victory for sin. Jesus didn't die and that wasn't the end of it. You know it. You've heard it. Jesus rose again. He conquered death. He smashed it apart. He broke the power of sin and the grave forever. And now he's alive and he's present with us and he pours out his Holy Spirit so that I might be different, so that you might be different, so that you might live the life that he has always intended for you. A life where you love others in the way that he does. Where you learn and grow and are shaped to be more like Jesus. And the Bible says, believing this, that Jesus died for my sin and rose again, confessing with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in your heart that God raised him from the dead is the most life-changing thing we can ever do for we are saved because of him. Friends, we're all so loved, and I finish here, but because of Jesus and Jesus alone, we're also completely forgiven as we trust in him. He is our hope, and he's also the hope for this hurting and broken world. So if you're flagging in your faith this morning, friends, wondering what this church stuff is really all about, then turn your focus, your gaze, your eyes on Jesus again. Consider the cross. Gaze again with the eyes of the heart upon a king and a Lord willing to step down and do that for a people undeserving but deeply, deeply loved. Go to the cross, find yourself there again and as you look around you'll find all of us there on our knees thanking Jesus for what he did. Brothers and sisters, saved by grace, saved because of Jesus. Friends, if you're disillusioned with life this morning, come to Jesus. If you still have questions about church and faith and you haven't got all the answers, start with Jesus. Come to Jesus. If you're aching and yearning for the deepest answers in life, come to Jesus. It is Jesus, the author and perfecter, the alpha and the omega. You'll find no truer friend. So I finish there. And I unashamedly say, we as a church are all about Jesus. And we're not embarrassed by that, are we? No. And we're passionate about Jesus. And we're passionate about his Holy Spirit poured out amongst us and his presence amongst us and learning from one another as he speaks through one another. We're passionate about his love. We're passionate about his goodness, his faithfulness. And we passionately want to share his love and his goodness and his faithfulness with our communities, our families, our friends, our neighbours, our workplaces. He is the central focus of our hearts. And if you don't know him as the central focus of your heart this morning, just as every morning is an opportunity, you can take that moment today to say, it's time, Jesus. I get it. It's all about you. I choose to believe you.
You, our Lord and King, now become my Lord and King. You died for me and rose again. Thank you for your forgiveness. You can do that this morning. Friends, I'm going to finish. We've got a song we're going to sing in a minute, but I'm going to finish with a, um, a little clip from S.M. Lockridge, that guy I told you about. Come to say to you that Jesus is Lord. I don't have to prove it. He just is. Um, and it's a sermon called My King, and it's about three minutes long. Um, and it's a video up there. And just enjoy how many wonderful and amazing things he speaks about Jesus in this video. And then um, we will just wait for a moment together, and then we'll sing our final song. But if we could have the sound up and ready, and I shall click, and let's just enjoy who Jesus is. The Bible says, my king is the king of the Jews. He's the king of Israel. He's the king of righteousness. He's the king of the ages. He's the king of heaven. He's the king of glory. He's the king of kings. And he's the Lord of lords. That's my king. I wonder, do you know him? My king is a sovereign king. No means of measure can define his limitless love. He's enduringly strong. He's entirely sincere. He's eternally steadfast. He's immortally graceful. He's imperially powerful. He's impartially merciful. Do you know him? He's the greatest phenomenon that has ever crossed the horizon of this world. He's God's son. He's a sinner's savior. He's the centerpiece of civilization. He's unparalleled. He's unprecedented. He is the loftiest idea in literature. He's the highest personality in philosophy. He's the fundamental doctrine of true theology. He's the only one qualified to be an all-sufficient savior. I wonder if you know him today. He supplies strength for the weak. He's available for the tempted and the tried. He sympathizes and he saves. He strengthens and sustains. He guards and he guides. He heals the sick. He cleans the lepers. He forgives sinners. He discharges debtors. He delivers the captives. He defends the feeble. He blesses the young. He serves the unfortunate. He regards the age. He rewards the diligent. And he beautifies the meek. I wonder if you know him. He's a key to knowledge. He's a wellspring of wisdom. He's a doorway of deliverance. He's a pathway of peace. He's a roadway of righteousness. He's a highway of holiness. He's a gateway of glory. Do you know him? Well, his life is matchless. His goodness is limitless. His mercy is everlasting. His love never changes. His word is enough. His grace is sufficient. His reign is righteous. And his yoke is easy. And his burden is lighter. I wish I could describe him, but yet he's indescribable. He's incarnate.
wonderful. That's my king. I wish I could describe him to you. (laughs) He's indescribable. He's our king. He's with us now.